0: No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com.
1: There's a heavy amount of power and fire rating that is on the ground floor of one of those containers. And then to, to fire rate the roof of that gear, you know, we encapsulate it in concrete and as the room, but then on top of it, you use it as a catwalk that you could still go and experience the other 30 feet of the container. So it's really is an experiential mechanism that we're allowed to do.
0: This is Detailed, an original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Cherise Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. Welcome to Detailed. The voice you heard in our intro is my guest, Mark Odom, founding principal at Mark Odom's studio in Austin, Texas. Mark has been working in Austin since 2004, focusing on collaborative efforts in experiential design, material investigation, spatial development, and proper construction practices. With over 25 years of experience, he has grown his award-winning studio, to handle a wide range of project types, including commercial, residential, multifamily, hospitality, and adaptive reuse. Mark received a Bachelor of Environmental Design slash Architecture degree from Texas A&M University in 1996, and a Master of Architecture degree from the New School of Architecture in 2003. The project we will be talking about today is The Pitch in Austin, Texas. But before we get started, don't forget to take a look at the project photos and drawings as you listen along. You can click the link in our show notes or visit www.rcat.com podcast. Tucked 10 miles away from downtown Austin is the site of The Pitch, part of the developer's 50-acre Parmer Pond District which is situated on their larger 300-acre corporate campus, Parmer, Austin. It is adjacent to Parmer Field, the home of Austin FC's academy teams and the St. David's Performance Center, the team's training facility. The developer, Carlin Real Estate, had an interest in building with shipping containers. While it was a new concept for them, they really wanted to lean into the idea. Carlin approached Mark Odom's studio, who at the time had been in deep exploration of this building method.
1: We went into a deep, deep dive of containers for a mixed-use multifamily, a couple of them, a couple of larger, you know, 300, 400 unit mixed-use projects that never developed. We got so far in the process and it just was too much out of the box to where they weren't comfortable in moving forward. But what that gave us was a really good knowledge about how these things were, what you can do with them, how they may not work, you know, in terms of efficiency and how they may break the code in certain instances. And then it also allowed us to research certain local providers like Falcon uh, structures that, that supplied the containers. And so we got to know the world fairly well in terms of the localism and, and what we could grasp to, And funny enough, the clients, Carlin, real estate developers, they were just interested in, in containers. And they first went to the container supplier and this container supplier referenced our name and said, hey, these guys are really doing something quite different with containers that maybe you want to talk to them about your project. So they got in touch with us and we started talking about containers. And the first question I had for them was, Why containers? And they really wanted impact, you know, they wanted something very different. And all of this happened when COVID hit March of 2020. And so there was a separation of bodies and minds. And, you know, our world was turned, you know, completely different. And not only how we communicate, but also the the type of process that we work through, you know, in our office. So, but luckily, Carlin, they were interested in containers they really grasp onto that idea. But luckily for us, they had no preconceived notion of program of what it should look like. Many of these kind of normalcies that we're typically faced with, or a performa, there was no square footages. What they were really after was an experience. And that right there was the unicorn. Because what we base our work on is not necessarily how do we create the next trophy? Or how do we create this the thing that sits on top of the landscape but really how can we begin developing an experience that just so happens to be isolated or not isolated but just you know controlled with a series of boxes and landscape and that was really interesting in a way that the conversation for the next I don't know three or four months was really based on the brand the identity the wayfinding the experience what are all these things at the future users would have at their grasp, and how could we keep them coming back.
0: The hope was that the space would become a place where local employees, Austin FC soccer fans, and the broader community could gather to eat, drink, and relax.
1: It started out as a a bunch of what-ifs. So we started out with no program other than we wanted activity, we wanted local food vendors, and we wanted you know, a number of other spaces that could be flex because we didn't know how this thing would take hold in terms of the public use. So what it turned into is almost just that. So we have, there's a series of buildings that we call them pods more or less, and there's a ground floor container or a group of ground floor containers that are joined and there's a second floor container. And so all of the ground floor containers have food vendors or food and beverage or retail. They sell swag, you know, Austin FC swag. Or the pitch swag, either way. And then the second level is really up for grabs in terms of how can we create and a small amount of square footage, how can we create a variety of different uses with what we have? And so that allowed us to think about co-working because it's still a thing, but during COVID it was it was something very attractive to what was surrounding which was a huge amount of office square footage and and it's hundreds of thousands of square feet of office that is surrounding as well as single family homes that are, you know are across the street so that was a real attraction there was the thought of austin fc could really take off which they obviously they have and hey what about vip lounge and what about these being corporate lounges where they watch games and they rent these out and they have their own individual parties. So there is seeing these second floors as a collective component on their own, as well as these individual occupant types that we had to mechanically or outfit it in a way that it could be useful on a number of uh, types of events. So, you know, if you look at the images or, or the floor plans, it really is just kind of a universal space that you could furnish as needed, you could plug in as needed. And I think from that perspective, it's been real successful because it has been used on all of those different types of programs thus far. We've used it as client entertainment and presentation spaces. And and so it's been a lot of fun.
0: In the challenge of working with shipping containers, opportunities arise to creatively explore their connection to the site their spatial limitations, and the experience of being inside a container.
1: There are are many different examples of shipping container projects, but what we found is that there were less and less actually built projects on the ground. And so what we saw whenever we, we always do a huge precedent study in terms of what do we see and what are the advantages and disadvantages. And what we did find is that, and what we thought were missing in these projects were we didn't want the containers to sit on top of the landscape. So immediately we wanted to, even though we started out with a grassy field that was somewhat flat, we wanted to blend the landscape with the container because it was such a cold steel, you know, we wanted it to be a little bit more user-friendly and soft and blended into the actual experience. So we burned, we were allowed to retain and burn the earth around the container in certain instances. And then it allowed us to also use that as a, a threshold, right? So when, when you see it from the periphery, it looks very different from the landscape than when you're standing in the middle of And so that number one was planning wise was somewhat of a challenge, but to make sense of it as a constructible thing, as a thing that our clients were going to spend money on, it also allowed it to be, you know, a thermal mechanism in terms of how do we, in the 110 degree sun that we are experiencing right now, how do we try to make this as comfortable as we can? And so to use the earth. And to blend the container into the landscape was step one. And then, having again, having never really gotten into the details, man, I, I think a lot of people lose sense of what is really needed in terms of space, you know, the box in which we sit within day by day. I think we lose perspective in terms of how big we've gotten, right? And so the container. Just kind of visually talking through it was daunting in many different ways because we all thought, "Well, shoot, this is not—it's not, not going to be en- enough, or, or you know, it's going to be too tight." There's all all these different mechanisms of thought about how we currently live versus what is actual. So it was real interesting to put ourselves to even see the container on a in the yard and, and walk through it, and to realize, "Wow, okay, now we can really utilize this from different ways, and it is comfortable." So, it's getting past that threshold of spatial limitations. That was number two. And then, thirdly, how can you push the container knowing that it is structural? If you stack it, you can stack it eight high and it's not an issue. But we didn't, of course, want to do that. We wanted a cantilever and we wanted to make every building uniquely different, even though it was the same module. So, because we were focused on the experience, not necessarily the thing and so we're trying to create a subtle difference in experience per container and so structurally it was a challenge so there was a lot of investigation in terms of how much surface area of corrugation or container structure that you can move to actually retain the original structural capacity of the the true container so we would always push it to the very limit And so the driving factor was we didn't want to deteriorate the container so much that you lost sight of the container. Right? So we always wanted to maintain the the true characteristics of it. And so the structural detail was actually something that we had to get into very early. How do we sit this thing on the ground and then how do we begin altering it subtly and structurally so that you didn't you never lost sight of the fact that you're in a container. And then additionally to understand how much impact there is whenever you put a food and beverage program inside of a container because if you've ever been into a kitchen the mechanics that go into making a kitchen is quite a bit obviously and so to do something as minimal as a container and try to really express the true identity of container while Pulling mechanics and ventilation and water and gas into it, you know, all these things through it, and to conceal it took a whole lot of pre-planning and <laughs> and head scratching, and all of that was kind of happening at once early on because we we knew we wanted this the purity of the thing, and so to really pre-plan and collaborate and to understand both from an engineering perspective and also a trade perspective what those limitations were. Was quite difficult and fun at the same time.
0: One unique approach with the shipping containers was the bold move to install three of the 40 foot long containers on their ends.
1: Well, originally it started out as a sense of wayfinding because it wasn't just about what we were doing in that particular spot. It was How do you see this from the distance and how does one know that this is even here because it it really is a low profile in the landscape type of project and so they started out as a series of wayfinding mechanisms that we thought we'll brand it we'll stand these things up on in they can glow at night you know however they need to and you can see them from a distance and they can act as a nodal point you know a place of reference And that's how the idea started. And then it really bothered us that it was only a wayfinding mechanism. You know, what else could we do with these things? We knew that we wanted them located in a series of, you know, in a a couple of different spots on the site. So, as we started thinking about the experience of what it is we're trying to do, we knew we needed to have public restrooms. And what kind of experience would it be to have a 40-foot tall Ceiling, you know, in a public restroom. And so we turned it as into an installation piece. And we have three 40 foot containers that are on its end. And two of them are public restroom facilities. And then the third, we've used all for our electric gear for the entire complex. And so there's a heavy amount of power and fire rating that is on the ground floor of one of those containers and then to to fire the roof of that gear you know we encapsulated in concrete and as the room but then on top of it you used it as a catwalk that you could still go and experience the other 30 feet of the container so it's really is an experiential mechanism that we're allowed to do
0: this project is all about the experience And the team set out to carry the experience through to the interior.
1: Yeah, we treated the interior as much like how we treated the exterior. Ground floor containers are, even though they're positioned in the landscape differently, they're all detailed the same, right? So the ground floor containers are white. They have a series of openings that are different from the next, which makes them a little bit, you know, characteristically different. Second floor containers are green. They sit on to the level one, you know, differently, but they're all detailed the same. And that was for a reason. We didn't want one to have priority over the other. We really were trying to focus on the, this experience. And so to have this train of thought from the interior's perspective was also pretty hard. So we, it's really controlling the landscape, so to speak, or the, the material that, that we were using. So we used plywood on the walls. And then we use rubber flooring on the floor and we use Tectum, you know, as a sound controlling device on the ceiling. And that's applied in every second floor container, you know, that had climate control. And those were outfitted mechanically different. They were lit differently. You know, you use them differently. We space blind them a little bit differently. But what we wanted to make sure is that materiality or color was not a deterrent from the view that we had focused the container or the experience that we focused containers because everything on the second floor, we wanted to make sure that you had a a different perspective or a different framed opening back into the landscape or back into the activity in the courtyard. And that visual connection was very important. So we didn't want anything to to detract from that.
0: Beyond shipping containers, the team also introduced mass timber to the project.
1: Adjacent to us is, is a stadium, right? So that brought a, a different scale than what we were doing. And so the mass timber, programmatically, they wanted a covered area, a beer garden, so to speak, that had a container underneath it. And so it was actually project manager, designer at the time, Jeffrey Ford of our office, he we had always talked about doing a mass timber structure. And so it, it was really his idea to create a pavilion out of mass timber, which I think turned out really beautifully because it did soften in terms of materiality. It did soften the approach adjacent to all the steel. It did allow us to float this thing and have the mass timber expressed itself uniquely, you know, in the landscape as this umbrella over another container in beer garden. And then on top of it, we were allowed to puncture the mass timber structure of the roof with apertures, with steel, custom steel apertures. So each one that you went underneath had a different way to shed light or to shed water, you know, if it were to rain. And so we we had five or six of those in the in the mass timber frame, which was very minimalist in its own right. And different, you know, it was a different experience once you stood underneath it.
0: Shipping containers, and in some cases mass timber, are newer concepts for some cities. It can be a challenge for the plan approval process, but having a good partnership with the local jurisdiction can help everyone move through the complexity.
1: Luckily, we had brought previous projects I mentioned earlier in terms of, hey, how do we how do we get a container project built in the city of Austin? Cause no one has done it yet. So we've got a great relationship with the city and their plan review staff and a lot of the inspectors. So we've asked for a meeting, you know, early on and just kind of talk through the whole situation about code inspections. Where do we inspect it? If it is some of these modules are built offsite, how does that all get you know wrapped up and you know, how do, how do we pay for it? How do we, how do we sequence it? So they they got an inkling of what we were up to. And we have a little bit of reputation in Austin about maybe trying to do things a little differently. But, but anyway, they, they're on board. And it's the same idea as bringing everyone to the table. We brought this process up or what we were trying to do up early. And we tried to talk through any red flags that we thought we may encounter and they did the same thing and so they were on board we kept them up to date throughout the process i knew when we had an early plan review and we walked through everything that we were going to do and we just really treated it as much as possible as an as a normal building and then we could identify the areas where it broke code or it wasn't a normal building and then we could identify those elements before we actually got to permit review so there were just a few instances such as fall protection, which no one really understood how we were going to achieve it until, and it wasn't mud on your face. It was just at the very end of the project where we were all tired and ready to be done and that happened. And <laughs> so it was just a learning instance.
0: The fall protection that Mark is referring to is a requirement from OSHA or Occupational Safety and Health Administration. To prevent falls during construction and or maintenance, fall protection should be provided at elevations of four feet in general industry workplaces, five feet in shipyards, six feet in the construction industry, and eight feet in long-shoring operations.
1: And our schematics and everything that we had pre-planned on the upfront, just to kind of get through experience and understand how these stack. What we have on the roof was not quite understood because we didn't have MEP. I mean, we had MEP, but we just didn't have everything sized properly. So on the roof, if you've seen the images, we have these huge Doaz units, which luckily this thing is pretty industrial anyway, but we thought, how cool is that? Do we screen it? Do we, do we hide it? And the natural choice was, no, you, you just let it be what it is, right? Just like the container, you can't do anything to it. And so luckily it does kind of fit into the aesthetics of the whole environment, but these DOAS units are almost as wide as the container and half as big. So it that created code issues that the code IBC doesn't necessarily, you know, in terms of fall protection, doesn't really apply. So we had to, that was a head scratcher in terms of how do we account for fall protection around these DOAS units, which is, you know, one of those I gotcha moments that... <laughs> There were many of those but that was one that stumped both the city of Austin and, and ourselves so what did you do well we had a alternate means of ball protection that we all felt would suffice and that was basically you know tying off before you got onto the roof okay what ended up happening was that we the city of Austin wasn't ready to buy into that because it was so far different than what the Code had originally stated, so that we we had to come back and weld extensions more or less that bypassed the DOAS unit on top that sufficed for protection forces in terms of the live load or the push load or the lateral force rather in order to get these done and it, it really was a project on its own because we had to shop fabricate these things, crane them in, weld them in, paint them, and it was essentially a third floor. To access these DOAs units, which essentially you know added to our budget and timeline, and that was a little bit of mud on our face in terms of ah, oh, you guys didn't think through that properly. But uh, nonetheless, we got through it.
0: After obtaining approval and permits, the team was off to build, where they continued to learn.
1: Well, because we had such a heightened level of pre-planning, and that was not only from our perspective, but that was. Through the different trades, the steel consultant that we had, the installer, the city, everything. The most difficult part was really to understand. Okay, when, when these things get put in, you know, when they when they get welded into place, what are the elements that we just kind of didn't didn't understand? And it's those small connections that we had no idea about how to. I don't like the word trim, but trim. You know, there's these openings or there's there's these thresholds that didn't quite work out. Or it's the thermal break that we thought we knew how to control, but we didn't quite have right, you know, because, again, we had never stacked or assembled containers before. So it's really the small detail that we had to spend, you know, extra time and effort and, and budget to really work through in an efficient way to make sure we didn't overdo it you know because the thing is not based on trim it's based on you know expressing the container so how do we minimize these certain moves that are additives that were not really thought or planned about how do we implement those moves without taking away from the idea and we didn't know until they were in place <laughs> if I could reverse our thought process in terms of how we learn as, young architects, I I would say we all start in construction because that changes our world. And luckily we got to work with not only a good friend, but a good GC, you know, for this project, Jeremy Smith with Citadel. We do a number of projects with them. We work so well together in terms of a true design build collaboration. And so they we love hearing their ideas. We're we're very thick skinned around the round table when we talk through components and i'll have to brag on them because they really allowed us to develop change pivot and they were with us you know from almost day one in order to really sequence together detail together our steel fabricator make house they they were unique in a way that they dug in and and they modeled and and they followed us so We were all nervous. The containers were shipped to Falcon. Falcon cut the holes. They applied the spray foam. And then the idea was that we would pour foundations, which were essentially we we needed a crawl space so we could plug and play. We wanted to drop the container on a stem wall, right? And so that would give us a 30-inch crawl space that had our utilities that we were going to plug into the container. So all of this is really heavily sequenced and pre-planned till we thought, okay, you know, what are we not thinking about? And so the nail biter was the containers got trucked from Falcon to the site and they fit perfectly. You know, that, that was where we thought things could go wrong. The stem wall is going to be off. The container would sit unlevel. The amount of tolerances that we had on this project were almost minimal. You know, when we dropped the container next to the berm, the the concrete uh, cast-in-place wall, we had, you know, maybe a sixteenth of an inch tolerance that we had to sit, we had to nail it. And so we were on, we are spot on because of all the, all the pre-planning. Now, the things that we didn't quite know was just what I had mentioned before is when these things do stack, there's inevitably going to be air pockets. There's inevitably going to be You know, things that we didn't quite budget or we didn't quite detail because the stacking effect and the unique holes or, you know, pockets in a container. Those are the things that we just really scratched our head all throughout the project to understand how do we do this in a minimal way that doesn't detract from the container. But the utilities tied in just fine the doaz units and the fall protection was again one of those things that we just didn't quite know number one you know the vibrations everything that came with this car you know essentially that sits on the top of your container how would that affect the experience inside are we gonna are we doing the sound buffering you know are we placing these things or is our curve exactly right those are the things we didn't quite know. And we could do it better the next time, of course. But, you know, again, it, it worked out in a way that it didn't detract. It fit into the concept and essentially worked at the end.
0: Mark looks forward to working on another shipping container project in the future. His experience with the pitch illuminated a few new ideas for his next opportunity.
1: Architecture is not about perfection. Right. It's about doing it better each time or learning from what you did previously and doing it a little bit differently, hoping to do it better. I'm kind of interested in being more efficient, having the same result in terms of the experience, but being more efficient and true to the box. And that could mean that it stacks differently, that we don't remove so much and create so much waste, not waste, but additional steel that is needed due to some of our experiential moves that we want to do like there could be some more altruistic planning of the box you know the rotation of the box that i'm real interested in and trying to redo
0: for others considering this method of construction
1: i would ask the question is the shipping container appropriate And, you know, we asked the same thing and we we still did it because we were interested in the idea and the module and, you know, what we could do with it. But I I think really it it is, you know, a lot of folks have asked the same question and I said, well, programmatically, it may not make sense for kitchens because it is incredibly difficult (laughs) to squeeze as much as we did inside this container, but it's doable. So I, I think it's really asking the question as to why. And then if you can answer that, then it's perfectly achievable and, and okay to explore all that you need to.
0: Before we close out this episode, I always try to gain some additional insight from our guests about the greater industry. I was curious what career experience has shifted Mark's perspective about the industry.
1: I was project architect on a high rise in downtown San Diego and I came into it at the very end and and it was a real combative atmosphere and I thought wow this is a really tough way to get through a project because it alone is a difficult thing to do anyway so I was always questioning the finger pointing and the combativeness and you know looking back it was a pivotal moment because it shaped the way that we operate today in our office right because we We really try to remove the ego. We try to remove the stature. We try to remove all the stuff that doesn't allow you to focus the attention on the thing that we're after. And the design build approach is what I thought, man, it's such an obvious choice. But yet our environment is built on a way that is very difficult because we've not done it. We've not structured our contracts. You know, it starts with, our education, it starts with our contracts, it starts with the way that we traditionally sequence our projects. So it comes with how we budget when we find out when the budget, you know, is, is real and then when when we permit and then how we construct. Like all these things separate us as different entities in a way that really puts us in a hole and, and act as individuals, whereas we only get this done properly. Whenever we unify and we act as a team. And so I think that what we're on the verge of is really trying to implement a new way of working, even though it seems very obvious it it, it's not. And so I'm real interested in doing better at unifying that upfront mentality and surrounding ourselves with the clients that believe in that and with the builders that believe in that and the consultants that believe in that because again it's it's very difficult work it's a long road that we have to travel in order to really find you know some success and to try to remove that headache is is what we're after
0: <laughs> i really love that answer i've been in my class for years i've been saying our contract models almost set us up to be adversarial yeah yeah, But yet we are living and breathing and working in an environment that does not work without every member of that team. Yeah, But I'm hearing more and more, and I love that I get to do this as my little side hobby, because I'm hearing more and more people saying, nope, we brought everybody on from day one, or we brought everybody on early, and we worked through all these things together. And I'm a little impatient. I wish they'd throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I know risk is everybody's favorite word. I teach about that as well. I get that, but I think it can be accomplished. I think it's being accomplished. And I think that the industry, especially with all of our younger professionals coming up, are pushing to not accept it any other way. And I'm really hoping that this will not be you know, five years, 10 years, however long it takes us to change. This will not be our standard model of delivering a project.
1: Yeah. I love the fact that you teach and, and you believe this. I had the opportunity to, to teach for a number of years. And another occasion that you know allowed me to continue to process this thought was I, I was given a grant and I got to take, I think it was eight construction science students and then maybe 10 architecture students put them in a class together and the end result was we were to design and build a tiny home. And so the first couple of weeks were we're going to get in the classroom and we're going to design this thing, but we're going to turn it into a little competition. So there was two or three students and naturally the construction science kids gravitated over here and the architecture was over here. And so I, I saw that in the first couple of weeks and I thought, huh, this is not how we need to be doing this. So I let the construction science students design the project and then the architecture students to sequence and to call the manufacturers, the material manufacturers, and just, you know, try to negotiate terms and see what we could do locally. And and it was real interesting because they maybe it was ingrained in them through education, I guess, is what I'm getting at is that there was this mentality of, well, they're gonna architecture's just gonna make these pretty pictures and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to really figure out how it's gonna get built. And and that was a real thing that was in the classroom and there was confrontation and and so to squash that and to flip it and to put each other in the other shoes was really interesting. And we ended up in building this really wonderful tiny home that everybody learned a different perspective of the other trade. And I still get emails about how wonderful that was and they learned so much and you know it kind of changed their frame of thought in terms of the overall process. And so it's nice to hear that educationally there are people out there trying to pull that into our atoms because it, it really it starts there.
0: I truly enjoyed this conversation with Mark. I hope this episode sparks a new idea, helps you solve a problem that you've been working through, or inspires the mark that you want to leave on this world on your path to world domination.
1: Our world is built on traditionalism, and it's not terribly great that we are continuing to do the things that we do because we've done them forever. and. I hope that through a sense of mentorship and a sense of practice that we try to curate in our office, I hope that we can create a a noticeably different process to make architects become architects, right? I think that we have sometimes fallen to the wayside of being a plan generator versus a building collaborator and i would enjoy working towards this all hands on deck and sense of collaboration and really rejiggering the the way of thought how we develop ideas across the board because i don't think that it is inherent i don't think that we're taught that i don't think that it's natural and to teach those coming up and to have that be a plan that's implemented and understood and taken as someone else's process it is really interesting. So it's not about a built condition. You know, it's about this way of life that is already inherently difficult. It's trying to find this experience that we can make better for ourselves and therefore have a, have a better, essentially a better profession or a more healthy profession that we operate within.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, Visit RCAT.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around RCAT.com. For over 30 years, RCAT has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try RCAT and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.